Hello, my praying people. I am so excited about this particular podcast that I've recorded for you. It has um, a lot to do with our faith and how to manage our faith when we're praying through the hard stuff, when we're praying through the pain and suffering. Right now, during this whole month of February, I've done a series of blog posts that are related to praying through pain and suffering. And you can go and access those blog posts at leannemccoy.com. And the most recent one that I want you to be sure that you see is the one that, well, of course you need to read the one that unpacks this whole concept, but the one that I released this week is called Check Out These Great Resources About Praying Through Pain and Suffering. And on that blog post, I've given you links to all kinds of really good and solid resources about praying through pain and suffering. The last resource in that post is actually me Uh, delivering a message at my home church at Thompson Station Church called Romans 828. You've got to be kidding me. I promise you this this is chock full of resources that you're going to love for helping you if you're going through a hard time right now. Now, before you listen to today's uh, podcast, I want to also remind you that I am passionate about starting prayer clinic ministries in our churches. And so if you attend a church and your prayer ministry could use some oomph or it could really use uh, more, um, uh, uh, how do you say, substance to its ability to pray with and for your people. And if you want a prayer ministry that will pray and stay with people and and track how God's working and celebrate God's answers that will come to the prayers we're praying, then check out the Prayer Clinic Ministry. Just go to prayerclinic.com. You can learn more about it. You can reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about how to get your church praying. I um, want to also encourage you to share this podcast. If it ministers to your heart, please share it with your friends, especially those who may be going through difficult times right now. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I ordered myself a necklace this week. It's similar to one that I had when I was fighting cancer. The old one had a blue sapphire stone that hung on a chain um, just over a circle with the words, trust him more, stamped on the circle. The trust him more came from a great woman of faith. The phrase trust him more came from a great woman of faith named Henrietta Mears. You can read this whole story in my book, A Woman's Guide to Hearing God's Voice, but I'm going to tell you the quick version here, or it may turn out to be the long version, I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, I had um, had surgery for cancer in my colon, and as a part of the wonderful gift that colon cancer gives you, you have to go back and have colonoscopies uh, fairly regularly at the beginning, and then it can stretch out more the longer that you get on the other side of your cancer diagnosis. But this particular situation happened when I had only been a year out of being diagnosed with colon cancer and having had surgery to remove the cancer. And at that time, the cancer was stage one, and um, I opted out of going through chemotherapy because my oncologist had explained to me that you that I had like a 89% chance of never having cancer again without chemo and like a 96% chance with it. So I weighed my odds and I said I'll take my B plus and run with it. 
Um, that doesn't really have anything to do with the story, except that I ended up having cancer again, which is another part of a bigger story. But back to this little piece of this story. I was a year out of having had the diagnosis and the cancer, so I had to go back for colonoscopy. Well, that colonoscopy happened in March of 2011. And what had just happened in our lives was that our first granddaughter was born. She was born on February 9, 2011. And today is actually February 11, 2011 when I'm recording this. And ironically enough, right now, today, this evening, we're expecting a couple of wonderful little fifth grade girlfriends. And we're going to have ourselves a little fifth grade girlfriend party um, to celebrate my granddaughter Misty's 11th birthday. But at this time, in 2011, when she had just been born, um, I was our relationship with our daughter, Michael, was extremely estranged, and we weren't, you know, hardly talking. And the last word that I had heard from her now brand-new husband, they had just gotten married at the courthouse, was that Tom and I would not have anything to do ever with his daughter. And so here was my brand new granddaughter had been born. I had all of the promises in God's word that I had taken for granted and thought would just be mine about my children and my and all of my descendants and how it was going to be great and glorious. And, you know, I mean, I had a natural bent toward dreaming one day. I mean, I didn't sit around daydreaming about it, but I just kind of took it for granted that when my children grew up, they were going to get married to these amazing people that we were going to all love and enjoy. We're going to play, you know, um, uh, settlers of Catan around the dinner table all together with their spouses and everybody's going to love each other. We were going to go on trips together and all the children were going to just be these incredible little grandchildren that were going to sleep in the attic room in my house and have cousin parties and all that stuff. I mean, you know, maybe, m maybe I had some vain imaginations, but that's just what I thought. And so here I was in March of 2011 with my daughter married and uh, not wanting to talk to me. And my granddaughter now, according to her dad, was never going to have anything to do with me. And so when it came time for the colonoscopy, my thought was, thank you, Jesus, that I get to go have a colonoscopy because that drug they give you to go into that twilight sleep to have the procedure done is the most amazing thing in all the world. <laughs> I mean, I'd had a colonoscopy uh, several times before, and every time this drug was like, I mean, it was really kind of nice. You would wake up just feeling like there were no problems at all. And I mean, one time I woke up, I think, singing, The hills are alive with the sound of music. Oh, you know, I mean, I had really gotten aware. I kind of liked that thing. So I went in to have the colonoscopy done, and I was excited. I mean, not excited, but I was glad I was going to get to have that drug. But when I woke up, um, I was not excited and elated. The, the weight of the world was not off my shoulders. Instead, I was crying. I, um, the people around me were very surprised at this um, response because it was, very, it was unusual. It wasn't what typically happens to people. And what had happened was because of the weightiness and my um, emotional grief over what was going on in my life, Instead of the colonoscopy giving me a sense of elation, it just exacerbated the sense of discouragement and 
um, hopelessness that I already had. So honestly, I woke up crying for my husband and asking for him. And so the people at the procedure center were, you know, going and getting Tom and, and, you know, trying to do what they could to give me a little solace. Fortunately, the drug wears off very quickly and I kind of came back to myself and it was a gray and dreary day in Tennessee that day and we came home and I was used to this, you know, you're kind of groggy the rest of the day, it's okay, so I'm just chilling. I um, have, um, you know, and just glad that I didn't stay feeling quite as desperate as I did when the drug was in my system. And so I, I went on my computer and I was, I, and my attitude really toward God in my prayers that afternoon was, are you kidding me? Like, you, we had a chance to have a little bit of a reprieve from this hard stuff that's going on in my life. And the unthinkable is happening. The unimaginable is, is in front of me. Like, I'm never going to have, according to what this guy's saying, I'm never going to have a relationship with my granddaughter. And, um, and this does not line up with your promises, Lord, to me. And all I wanted was just a little reprieve. I just wanted that drug to work. I mean, why couldn't just that have happened? And that's kind of how I was feeling. And I went on to Facebook, and um, because that's like a great place to, uh, you know, nurse your wound. <laughs> Look on Facebook and see how great everybody else's life is going on while yours is falling apart. And um, when I got there, I had a message on my Facebook Messenger from a friend, her name's Karen, that I had not heard from, I guess, really, since I probably graduated from high school. And I thought that she was reaching out to me because it was the year for our 30th anniversary, like high school um, reunion. And I thought, oh yeah, she's probably inviting me to the high school reunion sometime this year. And um, that's what I thought, but I, but I got into the message and I began to read it, and it was not about the class reunion at all. In fact, what Karen said to me in that message was, Hey, Leanne, I've been thinking about you a lot through the years, and somebody suggested that maybe I could find you through Facebook. I'm so glad I found you. And what I wanted you to know was what a significant impact you had on my life when we were in high school. And she reminded me that I had invited her to church, that I had um, lived my faith in front of her and shared Jesus with her, and that um, she had a terrible home life. And I didn't really realize it was that terrible. I, I remembered being friends with her. We were in the high school band together. And then we also were our high school boys basketball team statisticians together. So one of us would write the numbers down and the other one would watch the game. And so we had a good time doing that because we got to go to all the basketball games together and so we had been really good friends even though I didn't know that her home life was so rotten but the way her testimony went was that because of my influence and my witness in her life she had gone to church and um, and was saved and she you know told me about how that came about and how she had always wanted to find me and tell me about the impact that I had had on her journey toward Jesus and I, as I was reading this, I was just, um, the Holy Spirit was just uh, ministering to my heart in a very deep place. And he was reminding me that before I was a, a pastor, before I was an author, before I was a speaker, before I was a, a preacher's wife, before I was a mother or even a wife at all, he was there and, and he was in me and he was... And he was living and loving through me, and, and her life was changed. 
And on this exact day, when I needed so much encouragement from the Lord and when I was fussing at Him <laughs> for not giving it to me in that drug, He um, He gave me encouragement in a way that was bigger than chemicals. But her, her message went on to say that she had had a dream about me and that she didn't know what was going on in my life, but that she wanted me to know that God was fully aware of what was going on and that he was on it. Like he was attentive and he was taking care of me and that he cared. And, and she had no idea. And of course she had no idea. She, she, she and I hadn't even been in touch with each other in, in years. And then she shared with me, she said, I don't know if you know who Henrietta Mears is, but she was the woman who was attributed with starting um, age-graded Sunday school. And she was also a mentor to people like Bill Bright and Billy Graham. And um, I've looked up Henrietta Mears since then. She was a minister of education way back in the early, in the mid to early, early to mid 1900s. And um, in a time when women in ministry was not a thing. But this woman was a minister of education in the Presbyterian Church and just had had a tremendous impact on people's lives. Anyway, at the end of her life, my friend Karen told me, the people were gathered around her bed as she was taking her last breaths, and they said, Henrietta, if you could do anything differently, anything differently at all, and she has done, had done so much for the kingdom, so much amazing work, they, but they asked her, they said, what would you do? And she said to them, I would trust him more. And I thought about that when I read these words. Of course, I was I was a puddle by now. I mean, I'm crying. I'm I'm just the recipient of the miraculous supernatural. I mean, beautiful divine power of the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> and those three words, trust Him more, just just sealed themselves on my heart. And so when cancer returned a couple of years later, I got this necklace. And on this necklace, it had that blue sapphire, and which is my birthstone. And then it had Trust Him More stamped on the necklace itself. Well, I gave that necklace to my daughter Kaylee when she went to Africa on a mission trip. In fact, she had already left to go to Africa, and Tom was going to be in Africa and he was going to make a side trip to go and see her and I asked him to give her my necklace because I, it was just my way of saying to Kaylee when she was in Africa on this crazy trip of just saying hey I'm with you you are precious to me you know I'm trusting the Lord with you on this incredible adventure and, and we're just going to keep trusting him more well when I reordered this necklace for myself I chose a pearl for my necklace this time because pearls, you know, are made from oysters. And this is what I found when I when I looked up the fact that pearls are made from oysters. And this is what I found on the internet. The formation of a natural pearl begins when a foreign substance slips into the oyster between the and the So I chose a pearl for my necklace this time because pearls are made from oysters. And I looked up on the internet about how oysters make the pearls, and this is what I found. The formation of a natural pearl begins when a foreign substance slips into the oyster between the mantle and the shell, which irritates the mantle. 
The mannol covers the irritant with layers of the same nacre substance that is used to create the shell. This eventually forms a pearl. Now, I found that on the website called animals.howstuffworks.com <laughs> in case you're interested in finding out more. But I thought that a pearl would be perfect for my necklace, my trust him more necklace this time, because my trust in God is being deepened by the very things that are irritating me. When I was first introduced to Henrietta and her deathbed declaration, I thought to myself, no matter what, I want to always trust him more. Whew, and thanks to a relentless enemy who's seeking to devour me, I'm getting ample opportunities to do this very thing. And so, my friends, as I'm learning to trust him more, I want to confess to you that I'm also wrestling with how to trust God no matter what, and at the same time, trust God to answer my prayer. It's like I'm water skiing on two skis. Now, when I didn't learn to water ski until I was in my mid to late 30s. <laughs> and it was a sight to be seen, me trying to learn to water ski. And one of the hardest things about water skiing for me was keeping my skis together without one going one way and one going the other. So this, this tussle that I'm having right now, as I'm learning to trust him more, is like um, I have one ski, and we'll call that one surrender. Trusting God no matter what, just surrender. And then the other ski, we'll call that ski crazy faith. And that's trusting God to just, I mean, blow our socks off and surprise us and amaze us and be all of who he is in this situation against all odds. So I have these two, these two skis that I'm trying to keep together. And they just seem to be falling apart. Now, before I get into more into my water skiing illustration, I do want to share with you that I listened to an amazing podcast this past week that was um, on the book called Crazy Faith, written by Michael Todd. And this particular podcast was being shared just prior to the book's release. Well, this book is out here on the market now, and I I went straight out and bought it, and I'm going to read the entire book. But And I'll link, uh, a link both to the book Crazy Faith and to the podcast that I listened to this last week. You will be so encouraged. And I mean, you will have some crazy faith after you listen to these guys talking about it. But back to my water skiing illustration. So one ski is surrender, trusting God no matter what, and the other ski is crazy faith, trusting God for this, like being bold enough to name what this is and to believe that it will happen. All too often, these skis have a hard time coming together. And just like me, when I was learning to ski, they each go their own way and I am left dangling in the middle are smacking my face on that water and, um, you know, drinking half the lake. So let's talk about this. So many people preach a name it and claim it message. They guarantee that if you just have enough faith, you'll get what your heart desires. They say to pray specifically. I mean, name the date and the place and the time where your miracle will be delivered. And that's fine and dandy. If you get what your heart desires, but when you pray your heart out and you declare the fire out of whatever it is that you've claimed that your answer will be and you don't get it, 
And those same people will heap shame on you for not having enough faith. They want you to have faith in faith. And that's not how Christianity works. I can give you an example of trying to name it and claim it. When my daughter was pregnant with Misty, my granddaughter, and by the way, I got those dates wrong. Of course, it's 2022 when I'm making this podcast. It was 2011 when that story happened. But um, when my daughter was pregnant with my granddaughter, I just knew that she was going to come home. And I prayed because in my mind, it it could not be any other way. It had to be that way. There was no way that this baby was going to go live in the apartment complex where my daughter and her boyfriend at the time had found that they could live on on their income way up an hour away from us. And so I just knew. And so I decided to turn a bedroom in my house into an ark. I called it an ark. And I, and I turned it into a nursery, the sweetest little welcome a baby girl nursery you have ever seen. I even painted ladybugs on canvases and a friend of mine made beaded hangers for me to put them on the wall. I mean, I was serious about this and I was, I was putting um, fuel to my faith and I was claiming it and I was naming it and I was claiming it. But when not only did she not come home, but her daddy was saying, I would never, ever have anything to do with her ever. Can you imagine the tailspin that my faith took? I mean, <laughs> I didn't get what I named and claimed. And so the shame starts coming into my ears and the devil swissing in there and saying, shame on you. You didn't have enough faith. But the truth was, I was having faith. If I was listening to that, then I was having faith in faith, not faith in God. And my friends, that is just simply not how Christianity works. It's how the devil will work to try to get the, get good-hearted people sideways with God. But that is not how Christianity works. That's one ski, the name it, claim it. But then the other, the other extreme opposite on the, on the surrender ski is this. There are those on the opposite side of the spectrum who tell you that God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. We talked about this in in my previous podcast. And so then they'll say, oh, God's good. He's so good. He's good. He's good. Just ignoring the fact that everything around you is not good. And then they tell you to let go and let God. If I had a nickel for every time well-meaning saints of the Lord God Almighty said to me, said that to me, I could go on a cruise around the world and I would have money to buy souvenirs in every port. Just let go and let God. But, but how are you supposed to do that? Letting go and letting God might alleviate the pain that you're in right now, but the whole situation might end terribly. And, and what are you supposed to do with that? Are you going to pretend that it didn't matter because he's God and he's good and, and somehow this must be good, even though you can't see any good at all because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Now hear me say, I'm not making fun of the fact that God is good. God is good and all the time. He, there is never a minute, a second, a millisecond when God is not good. He is the epitome of good and all the time he is good, but things are not good all the time. I mean, there are some things that are stinky sometimes. There's some things that are, there there ain't nothing good about that. Now, God will work all things together for good because he's God and he does that. And what else is he going to work with but fallen humanity and a mess that we got here? But back to my scenario, do you see the dilemma? How on earth are we supposed to balance surrender and crazy faith? 
I think that Lydia Brownbeck touched on this in her book titled Trust. And I'm actually pulled this quote out of a blog post that I have on my Leanne McCoy website this week that you want to go take a look at because I have given you a handful of great resources that go with what I'm talking about right now and also go with Praying Through Pain. So check out leannemccoy.com and the blog post about um, the resources I have for you to pray through pain. So this is what Lydia Brownbeck says in regards to how we're supposed to balance absolute surrender to a God who is good with crazy faith that believes in what is not and hopes in what we do not see. And this is what she said. God often acts contrary to how we think a good God should act. The answer we think we need seems so logical and clear to our way of thinking, yet God does not provide it. That's where our faith comes in. Real faith isn't the belief that God will do a particular thing. Real faith is the conviction that God is good no matter what he does. And however he chooses to answer our prayers, God always has our best in mind and he works to bring it about no matter how it may look initially to our way of thinking. Here, my friends, is what I know. Listen while I remind you what Jesus said about prayer. This is what I know. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That was Matthew 21, 21 and 22. Uh, He said the very same thing and Mark recorded it in Mark 11, 23 and 24. But now let me read Luke 11, 9 and 10. So this is Jesus still. I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Then in Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said this, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then how about this one in John 14, 13 and 14? And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then John sixteen twenty three and 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And then Jesus qualifies these beautiful promises, these anythings and everythings and whatever things with this. In John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that that, what I just read to you, is what Jesus said about prayer. So here's the way I see it. The only way to draw these two skis back together is to do this. Have faith in God, not in your assessment and not in your solution to the situation. Because, to quote our friend Lydia again, 
Real faith isn't the belief that God will do a particular thing. Real faith is the conviction that God is good. And no matter what he does and however he chooses to answer our prayers. Let me read that again. Real faith isn't the belief that God will do a particular thing. Real faith is the conviction that God is good no matter what he does and however he chooses to answer our prayers because God always has our best in mind and he works to bring it about no matter how it may look initially to our way of thinking. You see, that's your surrender ski. So my little, my little baby granddaughter did not come home into that ark that I built for her. But the other night when I was putting my seven-year-old granddaughter River to bed, I paused for a minute and I looked around that room. And would you know those paintings of those little ladybugs on those canvases <laughs> with their beaded hangers are still on the wall in that room? And I thought to myself, it was an ark. God told me to build the ark. I obediently built that ark in faith. And several years later, not only did my granddaughter come home, but just like the ark, they came by twos. And I have those children and have had them in my home for many years. And it'll be fine with me if they stay for many more. Okay, so anyway, our one ski is have faith in God. That's your surrender ski. But then the second ski, that crazy faith ski, that, that ski that's like, let's, let's demonstrate great faith. This is what we're going to call that one. Hold him to his word. You see, the way that faith works is that we pray God's word right back to him. Remind God that you're knocking and you're asking and you're seeking and you're not quitting. You know, when Jesus gave us the parable of the reluctant neighbor, he turned around. His point was this neighbor refused to stop because he knew his neighbor had what he needed. And he knew that his neighbor would eventually get up, or at least he hoped he would get up and give him what he needed. And in the story, the neighbor did. He did get up and give him what he needed. And so Jesus then turned to his crowd and he said, but when the son of man returns, will he find faith on earth? Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a situation where my NACRA or whatever that stuff is called is making this pearl inside because I'm being irritated by what the devil is doing to the people I love and to my family and to the, to the, to the world that I live in, boy, I make sure that Jesus knows I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop knocking. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop seeking because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have exactly what I need in this situation. And whatever it is that you decide to do is good enough for me. That is what I know. I'm going to hold you to your word. So pray God's word right back to him. Remind him that you're knocking and you're not quitting. And as you are in the word, let God's word get into you. In other words, just get in the book and, and stay in the book so that when you're there, that word that is living and active will jump out of the book and be the word that you get to claim. And you know beyond a shadow of doubt, this is the word God gave me. And as ludicrous, as ridiculous, as laughable as that word might be, you take hold of that word. And you print it on your post-it note. You put it where you can see it. You commit it to memory. Allow it to germinate in your heart. And you remind yourself of the word as you say the word out loud. Every time the devil comes at you with something new that's supposed to make you doubt God. And you say it out loud right in his face. 
and you say, I'm standing on the word. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. God's word is powerful. When you take hold of the word of God, you have taken hold of what created the world and everything in it. My praying friends, when you take hold of the word of God, you are taking hold of God's higher and greater thoughts and plans. When you take hold of the word of God, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what God says he will do. Because God's word says in Jeremiah 1.12 that he is watching over his word to perform it. There you have it. Two skis. The surrender ski have faith in God, not in a particular outcome. And the crazy faith ski, <laughs> take hold of God's word and hold him to it. This is the way I see it working. There's a ball game coming up this weekend when I'm recording this podcast. We call it the Super Bowl. And I have to confess, I wasn't sure who was playing, so I Googled it. It'll be the Bengals and the Rams. One of these teams will go home a winner. I don't know which. But in the spiritual realm, I picture a game going on. I think of it as the shenanigans versus the prayers. You may feel like, and the score might be, shenanigans 13, prayers 3. But my friends, this game's only just begun. The shenanigans will have all kinds of tricks up their sleeve, and they won't play fair. Having already paid off the officials, they come onto the field arrogant, mean, and fully satisfied that they're going to make a mockery out of their opponents. And for a bit, things might seem to go their way. In fact, <laughs> things might seem to be going their way for a very long time. But the prayers are praying. They might take a peek a time or two at the scoreboard, but mostly... They keep shouting the word of God and singing praises to his name. This ceaseless praise and ridiculous Bible-thumping strategy aggravates the shenanigans. And so they continue to play dirty and they relish it when, they, when the prayers start to cry. But when those tears turn into determination and the brokenness in those prayers' hearts turns into worship, the shenanigans begin to feel the ground rumble. Oh, the score might be shenanigans 39, prayers still three in the fourth quarter. But the game's not over yet. The Lord God Almighty made some promises to his people and he's going to see them through. Nothing will stop what only God can do. With a shout, hallelujah, and glory to God, the score at the end of the game is prayers 110 and shenanigans 39. The shenanigans limp away to regroup and come again. The prayers smile and say, we should have trusted him more. My friends, Let's trust him more.
And there you have it, my praying friends. We are going to be working toward doing just that. Trust Him more. I want to close this podcast out by sharing with you our Faith Not Fear prayer card. You can get a set of these prayer cards at our prayerclinic.com website. This prayer card is one of 11 scripture prayer cards that are part of the resources that we provide to prayer clinics. If you want to learn more about the prayer clinic ministry, and I hope that you do, please just go over to prayerclinic.com, reach out to me, talk to me, we'll get in touch. There'll be another prayer clinic open house at our church in, in Thompson Station, Tennessee, coming up in April. But um, right around the corner, in just a few weeks, we're going to be releasing um, a virtual prayer clinic open house. And I'll be telling you more about that and and um, letting you know just as soon as we have a date for the virtual prayer clinic open house release. And there, on there, you can learn what the prayer clinic is all about. And if you're not the person at your church that is the point person for prayer in your church, then please pass this information on to whomever is. Don't you want our churches to be living, breathing illustrations of the power of God in our world today? Don't we want to see our prayers answered? Don't we want to um, just uh, penetrate darkness with God's glorious light? And we're going to do that. When God's people are praying, God and heaven are going to be active and working. So I want to encourage you to do that. And right now, I'm going to wrap this whole thing up by us praying our faith, not fear prayer card. The opposite of faith is fear. If you suffer from fear and anxiety, you simply need to exercise faith. Faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it grows. Let your faith increase as you choose to focus on these truths. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, Though the mountains shake, I was going to say quake, but it says shake. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, no matter what, I will not fear. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. I will cast my burden on you, Lord. I heave it over. I trust that you will sustain me and that you will keep your word by not allowing me to be overcome. Psalm 55, 22. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I will praise your word. In you I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 56, 3 and 4. I call upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answers me and sets me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Psalm 118, 5 and 6. Boy, that one goes really good with our shenanigans versus the prayers. (laughs) Here's another. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord shall be my confidence and shall keep my foot from being taken or keep my foot from slipping. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. Blessed am I when I put, when I trust in the Lord, when I put my hope in who you are. For I will be as a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat comes. But as leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. No matter what is happening around me, I can count on you taking care of what is happening 
within me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Isaiah 12, 2. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. O God. Make me ever aware of your presence every minute of every day. Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. But the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Yes, Lord. 2 Timothy 1, 6. For the Lord is good, and His love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Psalm 100, verse 5. For this, Lord, I am grateful. Lord, you have said to me, you have seen well. For I, the Lord, am watching over my word to perform it. Jeremiah 1, 12. I believe you will fulfill every promise you've given to increase my faith. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us faith, not fear. We trust you to do what you have said you will do. Amen.